How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach, the legend, Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, RJ Hollis. And guys, the University of Hawaii football team coming off of a victory over then nationally ranked Fresno State riding high into a bye week they come out of that bye week with a tough task of going up to reno nevada to face the wolf pack who entered that game four and one on the season they were unbeaten in mountain west conference play and although the first two quarters were a spectacular game one that we all imagine at halftime we thought we we're going to be watching a, a fight down to the finish uh the wolf pack absolutely run away in that second half in route to a 34 17 victory the rainbow warriors now fall to three and four on the season, one and two in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, truth be told, still very much in it in the West Division race because of how things have played out here this season. But definitely their backs are against the wall once they get back to Mountain West Conference play. Uh, they will take on New Mexico State in Manoa this upcoming weekend, the very first game at the Clarence C.C. Ching Athletics Complex that will have fans in attendance, although just 1,000, but still fans in the stands. And we're going to talk about that. We have a lot to talk about here coming off of this University of Hawaii football game. But first things first, I'm going to start with you, Rich. Biggest takeaway from the Rainbow Warriors loss in Reno. I would start by saying statistics can be misleading. The statistic that obviously tells the outcome of the game is the score. The second statistic and the only one that I really follow is turnovers, takeaways. And last week against Fresno, they were plus five. This week against Nevada, they were minus five. You are not going to win many, if any, games when you turn it over five times on offense, you don't take it away on defense. Some people say the biggest play in the game is a block punt. This is the third time this season there's been a block punt. That was a huge play in this football game. So, you know, Day Day Hunter had a night night, had a half half. And you know what? He has become the third established star on this offense behind uh, Chevin, actually the fourth, Chevin Cordero. Calvin Turner, Nick Mardner, Day-Day Hunter. They have a plethora of offensive weapons. They just got to outscore opponents. R.J. Hollis, what are you thinking about here on a Monday following that Saturday loss by Hawaii? Uh, I, I'm thinking a lot along the lines of what Rich is thinking. I think this offense needs to figure out an identity. And when I say identity, I mean like a fully structured identity one thing I can't say and one thing I can't deny is the talent on this offense. We know it's there from the line to, to the receivers, to guys like Day Day Hunter, to guys you're barely hearing about like Jared Smart, who's already had a, a thousand yard season in his past. This offense has so much talent and so much skill that big playability is always going to be there. I feel like they have to figure out how to be in close games, how to have things that are more scripted, how, how to be able to kind of slow and control the game. You know, in the first half alone, they had seven drives, 
you scored two times in 22 seconds. Then with the remaining 12 minutes that you have the ball, you have three punts, you have an interception, and you have a field goal. One of those that you have to punt on, you start on your own 42-yard line. So I, I think right now what we're trying to see is some sort of con concepts put in where we're not just getting the ball to our stars and having them make magic. We have those slow, you know, nitpick plays that we could do, those those calculated attacks that we could do to keep us in the game. And I think once they do that, they'll be great. And one thing that I definitely have to say as far as takeaway goes, the importance of number 12, if not shown last night, you will never get it. Saturday night, excuse me. If not shown on Saturday night, you will never get it. Number 12 is a star. He, he is the driving force of a talented offense that, as we can see, they just go out there and they make magic. This guy is a absolute star. He's a stud. You know, when you see games like last night, when you see games like Fresno State where you beat a ranked team with a backup quarterback, not much of a passing game, and, and dependence upon the running game that you have, you wonder what it would be like if Shevin was in there. If Shevin's in there Saturday night, I'm 99% sure it's a different game. So, you know, my two biggest takeaways is if an identity is placed upon this offense where you could be more structured. Not every time do you need to score. Sometimes you just need to keep your defense on the sideline and let them rest. But the next biggest takeaway would be when Shevin Cordero comes back, I expect an entirely different offense. I expect a lot more firepower. And I expect a lot less of these you know, plays that are questioned that people are wondering about. I expect a lot less of that because I feel like 12 will be able to execute those. Well, Rich Miano says that stats aren't the everything when looking at a football game and sometimes they're misleading. With that being said, let's go over some of the numbers just in case uh, people out there missed it. Braden Shager, the freshman quarterback playing in place of the injured Shevin Cordero, who is now going on three weeks of a shoulder injury on his throwing shoulder, which is keeping him out of action. Uh, Shager goes 22 of 39 for 205 yards passing, four interceptions and four sacks. Um, if we're being honest, I think anyone who watched the game, those four interceptions and the four sacks probably could have been avoided. And I think that comes with experience, uh, uh, putting yourself in a, in a lot of those situations that, that put an end to drives either immediately by an interception or by pushing you back on sacks. Uh, Day Day Hunter, as alluded to by RJ and Rich, he had eight carries for 174 yards, two long touchdowns, uh, one of 81 yards, uh, which is obviously a career high. And before that was a career high in his 70 plus yard touchdown run. Um, you look at Diedrich Parson, 11 carries for 39 yards, uh, an average of almost four yards per pop there. The running game was definitely working against Fresno State. It was working against Nevada. That is one part of the offense that you can see that there is a rhythm there. Now, if the passing game can go along with it, that could go and, and take strides for this offense. Uh, Calvin Turner Jr., uh, we saw him for the first time attempt a pass, right? Or, or really a two uh, pass attempts uh, from that uh, spot. One uh, went in and out of the hands of Nick Mardner in the end zone, which could have been a touchdown. Uh, the other, you saw him fake a run on, on a pitch. Or, uh, in fact, I can't even remember if it, it was straight from the Wildcat or if it was pitched to him. But uh, he seemed to be taking the edge, running upfield, and then he stopped 
and got into a throwing motion, uh, just didn't have anyone to throw to and then had to continue uh, to try and uh, move himself up the field. He had eight catches for 83 yards as a receiver. Uh, Dedrick Parson in two catches for 31 yards. Jared Smart, two catches for 24 yards. Uh, Zion Bowens, one catch for 20 yards. And those are the offensive numbers. And I want to do something a little different this week. Um, We get so many questions, comments, topic ideas in the Bose football final mailbox. And a lot of times we touch up on some of the categories that that these mailbox questions or comments come into pertaining to. And so what I want to do is kind of sprinkle it throughout the show. And so let's start by talking about the game that Braden Shager had. Um, and you guys both alluded to it. I talked a little bit about it, that his inexperience showed in this game against Nevada and some of the decision-making. Uh, the, the first mailbox question that comes in, and, and if you guys can answer this, but then also provide your thoughts on Braden Shager um, from Saturday and moving forward, uh, Kaleo's asking if, is it clear to anybody else that Shevin Cordero has been benched being that they're suiting him up and not using him. And so what I'll say there is um, personally, Shevin Cordero can't go right now. If he could go, he would go. And, and, uh, and there are many reasons to why someone would suit up for a game, despite not being available really for the game. And you saw him go in there and do that short distance punt that he's been doing since the Nick Rolovich era that he's actually really, really good at, by the way. Um, and the biggest one is deception is Nevada didn't know who's starting at quarterback in that game. He's your captain. And if Chevin Cordero doesn't go out for the coin toss in full uniform, then that completely allows you to set up your game plan on what you want to do with Braden Shaker. Uh, um, and so that's number one for me. Rich, what jumps out to you? First off, the question is, Is do you think that Shevin Cordero has been benched as the starting quarterback of this UH football team? Well, the, I'm a, I guess I'm tasked to answer both. First of all, if you are a head coach or a talent evaluator or you're a defensive coordinator from another team and you decided to bench Shevin Cordero and you had that decision, You'd be sued for malpractice, malfeasance, <laughs> and uh, you probably would never coach again because there's, there's a gap as big as the Grand Canyon in terms of talent at this particular stage in these young men's career. Now, Shaker is young, and if he decides to continue to work his craft and make better decisions, work on his core arm strength, work on his mobility and his ability to move up and step up in the pocket and buy some time. He could be a fine quarterback possibly in college, but you're talking about a guy, Chevin Cordero, who is as good as any quarterback, including Carson Strong in this conference that should be talked about as the Mountain West Conference player of the year but it's not because he's throwing at a 54% clip. He's been injured a couple of games. He hasn't been involved in the running game as much as he's capable or or should be. And when Chevron Cordero starts hitting on all cylinders, this will not even be a question. RJ Hollis, your thoughts on the question and the performance of Braden Shager. Uh, I mean, my thoughts would be almost identical to, to Rich's and, uh, you know, Shevin's, he's just, he's a stud. He's, he's talented. He, he's able to make a lot. And you see it now because 
a lot of broken plays will result in sacks, will result in interceptions, whereas, you know, Shevin kind of made it a regular thing. When the play's broken, well, now you just don't see number 12 ball out. So I think, you know, as far as him being benched, that's definitely not a thing. I would 100%, even if I couldn't and didn't come to practice, I wouldn't assume that Shevin's not playing because he's been put on the bench. I, I would say it is because of the injury now. With Shager's performance, he's 18 years old, you know, not even old enough to drink, just turned old enough to vote. (laughs) My first start was at, you know, approximately 20, 21 years old. And I remember my butterflies, but I was a right tackle, a a member of one of five offensive linemen. And you're not going to focus on me like you would the starting quarterback. So, you know, we I think it's clear that Shevin should be QB one. I think another thing that kind of makes it hard for Shager is that when Shevin started his career, he kind of walked in and made a lot of things happen that I think may become expectations for young people, but a lot of people should understand. Not only was Shevin more advanced, not only was Shevin more, you know, athletically gifted, he left his high school offense and it was the exact same thing as his college offense being the run and shoot when he transferred. So I think if you give Shager time, he will be a good quarterback. Once Shevin graduates, I think we will have a quarterback that we can be confident in by then. But uh, Shevin's QB1, it's blatantly obvious after Saturday night. It should have been blatantly obvious, you know, past games, just seeing the stuff that he's doing. But I think now with these last two games, both a win and a loss, because Shager did win the Fresno State game. But I think even in that performance, we saw that if we could have Shevin Cordero in there, uh, it, it could be a lot worse. And a lot of these games, you know, maybe it's 2-0 and instead of 1-1 one and one with a blowout of Fresno and a closer victory at Nevada. But Shevin's definitely QB1. I don't see him being benched. And if we give Braden Shager time, I do feel like, you know, two to three years from now, he, he will be a quarterback that we're speaking in in almost the same regard that we're speaking of uh, Shevin Cordero. Well, we got a, another question from Aaron on something that we've touched up on. And obviously, we should be talking about this young man's performance. Day Day Hunter in defeat was phenomenal, only playing two quarters and puts up 174 yards rushing, two touchdowns. The, the question from Aaron is even though Day Day is undersized, does he have a future in professional football? Uh, and so, uh, just to clear things up, too. Day uh, Day on Saturday night said that he does not feel like his injury is serious and does not expect to miss significant time. Um, uh, so I would imagine that against New Mexico State, Day Day Hunter would be available for this UH football team. But again, you have to wait to see how this happens, especially with injuries. Things can get worse as days go on. That's what you saw with Shevin Cordero, who played in the second half of the New Mexico State game, despite suffering that injury in the first half. And it wasn't until after the game was over that things started to go downhill on his health. Uh, so Rich Miano, a talent evaluator, you have many years experience in that realm of professional football does day day hunter have a future and keep in mind still a young kid uh, here with this rainbow warrior football program yeah rob um rj alluded to this earlier that he has some diosomy saint just in terms of size maybe quickness uh, ability to make people miss he's running more angry downhill better pad level i think his protection which is important has gotten better. I think catching the ball out of the backfield, he's competent. Um, I think it's an incomplete grade right now, but I do see a huge upside. I do see a Mountain West Conference uh, uh, all 
first team potential in, in the near future. Um, I, he is definitely a star uh, and a great addition to this offense and, and a three down back. Uh, although he he's, he'll get better in all three phases. Um, will he play in the NFL? You know, Alex Green did. And I remember Alex Green, obviously a bigger, taller, uh, uh, fluid back. So it, he size is a detriment, but I wouldn't put it past this young man based upon work ethic improvement and the ability to, you know, improve in protection and catch the ball out of the backfield. The two runs you saw against Nevada were magnificent. I mean, he hesitated, he lateral hopped, he hit the hole. There was a burst there. You saw some top end speed. He's shown already enough that he could potentially be a next level player. And it makes you wonder what that game could have looked like if Day-Day Hunter was available in the second half because there were there was a rhythm to the offense that did not put as much focus on Braden Shager, it felt like, uh, that you didn't see until the third quarter. Um, with that being said, um, you know, the, the turnovers didn't help, right? Because you turn the ball over, Nevada cashes in, and 24 points off of turnovers, by the way, uh, for the Nevada Wolfpack. And so when that starts happening, you start turning the ball over and Nevada cashes it in, your, your game plan goes out the window because now you're playing catch-up. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, RJ, I want to ask you this. Aloha Shoyu is asking if there is concern on the offensive coaching and play calling at this point of the season. And so when you looked at that Nevada game as a whole in four quarters, what do you think could have been done differently from a play calling standpoint, from an offensive game plan standpoint that would have helped the University of Hawaii win that football game? Um, I think in this regard, it actually might not make sense, but a lot simpler plays. I think a lot, you know, as far as trying to, when you have an 18 year old quarterback, you got to understand the butterflies is gone. I think UH should have tried to make a lot more shorter and simpler calls to kind of get his confidence up. And if that didn't work, then maybe we could, you know, keep funneling the running game like we did. We knew the running game was hitting, so that was not a problem. But I do feel like that uh, a lot of the plays that they were calling weren't something that made Braden Shaker feel comfortable, hence, the four INTs that you get. I mean, when you look at just the first half alone, the offense didn't convert a single third down. 0 for 4 on its third down attempts in all of the first half. So I think when you start looking at that, you got to figure out ways to sometimes just get a drive going. You know, occasionally I would take a 60-yard drive with an attempted field goal or a punt over a quick three and out of just taking, you know, deep shots downfield, over just all gadget plays, over, okay, Day-Day Hunter made two, you know, miracles work for us. Let's try and see how many more miracles he can make work for us. Or this power play worked three plays in a row, Well, let's try and do it a fourth with Dedrick Parson. I feel like there should have been a, a lot more play calls to keep these defensive coordinators on their toes. A run game is great to have, but it's one of the easiest to stop because all you got to do is load the box. It becomes a simple numbers game. So I think for the offense, they have to figure out, you know, some way to get these concepts working, get the tight ends coming across the middle, short passes to smart, you know, quick passes to Martiner, figure out things that make the offense comfortable, make the offense believe that we can drive it, whether we have to do it quick or whether we have to do it, you know, in a 15 play seven minute clip, however we have to get it done. There should be confidence and knowledge to know that it can get done. You take away Day-Day Hunter's 179 yards rushing, you're talking about a 34-3 to game because he scored both touchdowns, 
and you're talking about only 214 yards of total offense, period. 214 yards for the entire offense. So I think when you take away big plays, and we see this every game, whether it's Nick Martin or streaking down the field, whether it's Calvin Turner reverse field, whether it's Shevin making some magic on a broken play, we know we have talent to beat people. I think now what you're starting to see is you need the concepts to beat them, if that makes sense. You need to be able to play a chess match because not every time are you just going to be able to straight out talent them. Day-Day Hunter had two rushes for 150 yards, but you can't expect – four rushes to turn into 300 yards, if that makes sense. You have to have ideas where you can slowly and methodically be able to keep yourself in the game, even when things aren't looking good or they're looking good and you want to become dependent on what is good. So I think they have to open up the playbook. They have to get some better concepts. I think they may have to stop depending on the talented players. They have to beat them and they have to use the plays to beat teams. When you get into close matches like this, you're not, Calvin Turner's not just going to reverse field on everybody. Day-Day Hunter's just not going to A-gap downhill and outrun everybody. It just doesn't happen. But at the same time, knowing you have that talent, you should be able to make plays to where once they fall asleep on one of your attacks, you can pick it up and kill it on the other. I think the running game became a dependency. There was one time where they gave Day-Day the ball like five times out of six plays or seven plays. You know, you get to the red zone at the end of the second quarter with two timeouts, you blow both of them, and then you have to kick a field goal because you can't get the play in, and there's a false start. So conceptually, identity-wise, all as a mesh, 11 people on offense is not 11 people on defense. On defense, they're going to read and react. On 11, if the left tackle messes up on a right side run, play's done. So you need all 11 people on one mesh. You need – the players to believe in the coach. You need the coach to believe in his play calling. And I think by having more methodical drives, I think by having things that they can see work in the concept and more than the player, that is what you would need to get this offense going and get to that potential that everybody sees that we all know it can be at. So I think conceptually, once this offense gets good things going, you know, like they did with the crossing route uh, uh, to Caleb Phillips against Fresno state that left him wide open. Everybody was so hungry to jump on Nick Martiner. It left him wide open. We see more plays like that. I think you'll see a lot more productive offense, more than just big gashing plays where talent is essentially what gets you in the end zone. Rich Miano, one of the big swings of this game was the play on special teams for the University of Hawaii, who has struggled in that department this season. And whether it be in the return game, whether it be in protection, whether it be in punt coverage, I mean, you can go down the list. And I think to a man, everyone on this University of Hawaii football team would say that they can be better in that department. How big of a gut punch was it when you look at how competitive Hawaii was in this game in Reno um, before the mishap? on the muff punt or however you want to call it, where uh, the ball hits the back of Hugh Nelson, uh, Nevada gets the ball in the red zone, is able to convert for a score. And then later the punt block, which gave the Nevada the ball in the red zone as well. Um, What are your thoughts uh, on the special teams and how can this improve? Yeah, Rob, the special teams, you know, people talk about it's going to win two or three games a year for you, or it's going to lose two or three games so far. It's, it's in the category of losing two or three games in, in terms of they haven't done anything spectacular on special teams, uh, big returns, um, block kicks, blocked uh, punts. But 
this is the third blocked punt. There hasn't been a blocked punt in Manoa since 2008. We were known as the number one punt protection team. And that goes with the snapper being perfect, the rhythm, the protection. Now, when you have three blocked punts, you have to check your whole card. You have to figure out what is happening. Uh, they've changed a little bit of their protection. They've changed the way they put their upbacks, but they're still getting punts blocked. And we've always on the defensive side of the ball, or even RJ will attest to this, a lot of times they will say the biggest play in the game is a block punt. It's a huge momentum switch. Sometimes it results uh, in immediate uh, touchdowns. So I think special teams needs a lot of work in terms of we have the talent in the return game to break kickoffs. In 2010, we led the nation in kickoff returns here in Hawaii. Um, I, I just think with Calvin Turner returning punts and kicks, we need to get more positive yardage. I think punt protection, we need to work on the protection aspect of that. Uh, I've been not impressed at all on special teams, considering the potential and uh, that I know Todd Graham is heavily involved with as a defensive minded head coach and a special teams coordinator. And that has to be extremely disturbing to him and this whole staff that that's the third block punt in the season's only halfway over. Defensively for the University of Hawaii football team, uh, I, I think when you look at the four quarters, there was a lot of good uh, in, in this Wolfpack loss. Uh, but, you know, with that being said, when you turn the ball over that many times, you just put too many opportunities uh, on the defense having to stop uh, such a solid offense led by Carson Strong. And I think you saw this team definitely run out of gas on the defensive side of the ball in the fourth quarter for sure. Uh, Corey Bethley, 13 tackles and a pass breakup. He was all over the field uh, against Nevada, even in situations where, uh, you know, he, he's he's got a – uh, guard a, a tight end that doubles his size and in some situations was able to get the job done, but you're not going to win that battle very many times. Uh, Quentin Frazier with 10 tackles, Darius Musa with 10 tackles and a sack, uh, Jonah Laulu with four tackles and a sack, and Zach McKinney with a sack in that game against Nevada. Um, the, the overall look at this defense in this University of Hawaii lost to Nevada uh, I'm going to go to you, Rich, again first, uh, because there's a Bose football final mailbox question um, pertaining to the defensive backs. And, and I got to pull this up real quick. And it comes from Koholo. And, and, and he's pretty much asking that uh, many times you talk about Cortez Davis and his abilities. Um, what seems to be the issue this season? Why is he struggling uh, in preventing the big play, something that he was able to do last year but not able to do this year? Um, though, before you answer, one thing I said in previous years on this show, and, and I get completely what someone would say in that situation, but I always say that the defensive backs have the hardest job in the world because if a, play, if a team runs 85 plays in a game, and they get beat three times, that means you did your job 82 times, right? And, and But with those 82 times, no one talks about. So um, with that being said, Rich Miano, um, your thoughts on the defensive backfield, Cortez Davis mainly in giving up big plays. You know, uh, Cortez Davis uh, still has the great hips. He has good balance. He has good patience. He has uh, good ball skills. 
uh, witnessed uh, in that tremendous interception he had against Fresno. But he has been beaten deep uh, two or three times th this season. He's had some pass interference calls. And, you know, they're always hand battling at that position. And sometimes it's called a little bit uh, more than, than others. Um, not to make excuses for him, but you, you Rob, mentioned so uh, eloquently that it is physically the toughest position to play in football. And RJ may argue the left tackle does the same thing. If he plays 75 snaps and he gives up three sacks, people forget about the 72 plays that he did well. So you're out there on an island. If you do get beat deep, people assume that it was all on you. Never mind the fact that they, the blitz didn't get home. Guys were in the wrong gap. Uh, the quarterback threw a, a, a unguardable ball sometimes a great ball beats great defense and so there there has been some of that this year too on some of the deep ball throws but uh he has not played to the all mountain west conference first team uh status that he played to last year and some of that is just hey sometimes they win they're on scholarship as well but uh, i would not give up on that kid i think he has a tremendous uh future in terms of uh being a, a continue to be a shutdown corner but he will get beat and uh, you have to have a short memory when you do because uh, he's a heck of a football player, but he has been beaten this year. There is probably some concern. You know, I thought Abraham Elamimian, who coached him his first two or three years, did a phenomenal job with his technique, with his confidence, with his uh, patience, with his balance. Um, so he's a good football player, but he has been beaten. And that happens to all of us. Uh, RJ, I want to ask you something. It's funny. I was talking to Billy Hall, our good friend uh, from the Honolulu Star Advertiser in Hawaii Prep World um, after this game was over. And, and so to be completely honest and, and just so uh, everybody knows, so I'm off on Fridays and Saturdays, typically, obviously during the football season, if there's a home game, then I'm working the game, whether it be for Spectrum Sports or KHON. And so these road games that are nationally televised, I'm at home. Uh, you know, because especially during the football season, uh, I don't get much family time. And so, you know, I got to be home in, in those situations. And so I watched the game on TV, had my phone off, right? Not looking at social media, um, not really going through text or anything. And so, you know, I watched that game in its entirety without really talking to anybody, right? My, my son's running around. He's two and a half years old. And, uh, you know, I eat dinner with my wife and we're watching. We're all watching the game together. And so there's not much conversation about the game going on. It's just watching the game. Um, and I'm a quiet watcher of sports. And my, my wife teases me all the time, right? We'll watch a game together and it's over. She's like, wow, that was fun. You didn't say a word the whole time. You know, it's because I'm just watching, right? I get, I get locked in and, you know, and, and, there's, and, uh, and I don't talk very much. And so the game gets over and I powered up social media. And I was actually surprised at, of how upset people were about that game. And this could say something about me, right? And I'm not saying anyone's wrong for feeling the way that they did. But when that game ended, I thought to myself, you know, they'll, they'll win some games this year. This was a situation, this is one of those games that, you know, if Shevin Cordero's healthy, I, I, I think that changes a lot of things in that game. It, you know, if, if you didn't force, uh, not uh, force, but uh, if a freshman quarterback wasn't forced into that situation because of injury, things would have been very different. I think he learned a lot in that game and there was a lot of inexperience that was shown. And so I actually walked away, especially from the defensive side of the ball, thinking like, okay, like I, I saw some things that tell me that they're going to be competitive in every Mountain West Conference game this season if all things are equal and they're healthy, right? And they have their guys out there on the field. And, uh, and But then I was surprised that there's a lot of people very upset about defense on Saturday. And so 
I was talking to Billy Hall about it. And, and, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I don't know if it's just the way that I look at sports or what, because, you know, for example, during that football game of watching my two and a half year old son in that stretch of that three and a half hour football game, he broke two of his toys. He hit me in the shin with a hockey stick. He dropped my plate of dinner on the floor. Right. And so, but with all that being said, when, when, the, when the night's over, I'm like, man, that was a pretty solid day. That was a solid day for my son. That was a great day. You know, everything went good. Like, and I'm just thinking like, you know, people who watch sports, I mean, they give them up for adoption after that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I just, I didn't walk away thinking that the house was on fire, you know, for this UH football team, but please tell me, what I am not seeing, right? Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Were, were there red flags for you guys? Did, did, were, did the sirens go off during that football game? I'll start with you, RJ. Uh, I, I wouldn't say sirens, but there is there is an expectation now of this program that is a lot higher than years past. I came here in 2013 where my red shirt year, we only won one game. You know, I played for a coach who his entire tenure won seven games or 10 games. I don't know. It was seven games in the previous three years, and then we won seven games the first year Rolo comes. And then Rolo leaves with a 10-win season, and then following that, Graham has a winning season with no fans there. So there's become an expectation, and, you know, Graham said it a few weeks ago. You don't want to go a place where people don't expect to win. So, you know, there, I think, is a, a line between the fans who are expecting to win because we won before and the fans who truly do see the potential of this team. And that's what they're disappointed in. Make no mistake about it. This team lost. They should have made it a lot more competitive, but I think the disappointment comes when you know the amount of talent you had. I mean, day, day Hunter, 150 yards off two rushes, Rob, you just listed the defensive stats and in three players, you accounted for 30 tackles. With three players, you accounted for 30 tackles. You got those types of studs on your team. There's no reason you should be losing by multiple scores to Nevada. We look at the San Jose State game, which they were, you know, limping in on one foot when they came in and escaped with a victory in T.C. Ching. Those are the type of games that in a scheme of a season, they change everything. So even though it's just a single loss right now, when you look at the grand scheme of a season, not beating Nevada last night changes what could have been for the entire outlook of your team. Because if you beat them, New Mexico State is not a Mountain West Conference player. So whether you beat them or not, that doesn't matter. But when you head into San Diego State, you're 2-1 in conference, you have another ranked opponent, and now if you beat them, well, now we're talking about nationally ranked, especially if you beat New Mexico State and you're coming off Fresno and Nevada. But San Jose, you lost. That gives you your first loss, which should have been a win. Then you lose to Nevada. Fresno State is close even with six turnovers. So there was something in there to even be seen. But when you start to look at the potential of what could have been, I think that's what frustrates people the most. If you put those 1,000 fans in San Jose instead of waiting till this week, I think they beat San Jose. So then if they beat San Jose, losing to Nevada is not as big of a deal. But they lost already. Then they lose to Nevada. So let's say they beat San Diego State, which as program history would show you, you'd be somewhere that nobody else has ever been. You'd have two ranked wins in one season, and then you're talking about being undefeated in conference. 
But because you lost to San Jose State, because you lost to Nevada, in the forms and fashions that you lost to them, well, now the only thing we can really try to aim for is a bowl game. You know, so when you take it back to the expectations that I think fans have now, they see this is a team that truly should be undefeated in conference play. And if you did lose a game, it should have been a much closer loss to Nevada. San Jose State, you shouldn't even let get away from you, but it did. Nevada, you probably could have made it better. And if you do lose a closer game, I think people are less disappointed. Day-Day Hunter is your entire performance. Like I said, you take him out of the game, it's 34-3. Nobody else scored, offensively or defensively. The six turnovers you had against Fresno, you didn't get against Nevada. So I think there's a, a true elevation of expectation for this team that's rightfully earned because they're winning games. But at the same time, I do feel like there are certain people who really just want to push everything into the fire. But honestly, it, it should be a good thing that people expect you to win, that people expect you to do good. And I'm sure these coaches know that there's a potentiality for a team that could have been tops in the Mountain West. So even though it's only one loss at a time, even though it may be, you know, at the end of the game, it seems like a lot of people freak out. Like I said last week, football, you get one shot a week. One. That's it. Seven days. And if you mess up, you have a whole seven days again before you can make that up again. If it's a bye week, you got 14 days. So if you're a fan, that means you have to wait seven days to see if they can bounce back, to see if they can finally reach this potential we know they got. You know, so I think that's kind of where the frustration in lies is that this isn't a bad team that's losing. It's a good team that's losing. And that's what's frustrating. Like, you know, if you have a, a bad kid, and I don't, I don't mean to go too long with this, but like your bad <laughs> kids get bad grades. It's like, all right. You know that's the one that always gets bad grades. But when your <laughs> honor roll student walks in with the F, now you – what the – hold on. You know, it's kind of like I expected better of you. Kind of the biggest disappointment. You know, every kid hates to hear that. I'm disappointed. But what's the biggest disappointment? When you're good, child, when, when you have potential and then you act up. We see this team and we know there's potential. We You see the championship caliber talent reverse fielding, 30 tackles amongst three players. You, you got a quarterback that if the play breaks, he don't care. I actually like it better this way. Don't even call the play. Just let him run up and I'll get it. <laughs> you see that type of talent in the team, and then you start to expect like, oh, bro, come on, San Jose, really? Without they starting running back, really? Nevada by 17 points? Losing is one thing, but by 17 points? I think that's where you're starting to see the disappointment and the line kind of drawn with what fans expect to see versus what they're actually seeing. All right, Rich Miano, do you want to jump in on this? Okay, first of all, Professor, that's your new nickname, Professor Ron. <laughs> you've, got, you've got two students. Hey, that's that a better eight. nickname than you gave Corey Bethley, so I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> you've got two students with ADD. Now, this one, Young Buck, that's his new name. He has ADDH. I got ADD, but I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way. Because, damn, that was a diatribe. That was a freaking thesis. <laughs> so here's the deal, Rob. The reason for frustration is this. There's three phases of football. And I'm going to say right now that special teams-wise, from a talent and an expectation standpoint, should at least be a B. They have performed at a D level. Okay? And, and I say that because they haven't had big returns. And we know the type of talent we have in the skilled positions. And you have Kyler Halverson kicking off into the end zone. And you have Shipley. That's been pretty consistent on his field goals. But where are the return? Where is the return game? Okay, 
So I'm going to move over to offense. And offensively, this is a talent. It may be a minus because I think this offensive line is capable. And I think, again, Todd Graham said himself, there is not going to be an argument in terms of having a wealth of talent in the skilled positions. And we've seen the emergence of Nick Mardner, Day-Day Hunter. We know what Calvin Turner and we know what Shevin's capable of. So that's disappointing that they're playing at a C-minus level. Okay. Now, when you talk about defense, if you're disappointed in defense, I believe they have B average talent, which is good. They've got a couple of spectacular players in uh, Muasau in Bethley, and they've got some good players in Jonah Laulu and Blessman Ta'ala and Quentin Frazier and, and a host of others. Dewan Matthews played well this week. And they're playing at a B level. They're not playing poorly. So if you're disappointed in the way the defense is playing, Damn, you should be more disappointed the way special teams and offense is playing because I think this defense, other than taking the ball away this past game, and sometimes it's going to happen. You're not going to have six every game, but you got to have one or two. You got to take it away. You got to punch it out. You got to continue to work on takeaways because that's the biggest thing you can do defensively. Uh, nobody wants to watch Ben, but don't break. So if you're disappointed in the defense, Man, you're a purist, and you're expecting uh, these guys to play above and beyond their ability. I think Coach Graham does a good job. I think they get pretty much the most out of their talent. They leave those cornerbacks on an island all day long, and once in a while you're going to have some big plays, but you're going to have big plays for you as well. So anyway, I'm not going to ramble like Young Buck because OG is going to keep it real. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, guys. So now, I mean, with all that being said, right, we talked all about this Nevada game and where the Rainbow Warriors are currently three and four on the season. They're going to play a non-conference game against New Mexico State. The second time that they're facing the Aggies this season, the first was in Las Cruces a few weeks ago. Now you get them at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. And for the first time with any remote sign of fans for this program in the Todd Graham era, going back to the Hawaii Bowl in 2019 when UH beat BYU, which seemed like ages ago. That's the very first time, or this Saturday will be the very first time that fans will be in the stands. 1,000 uh, friends, family, guests of the program will be in attendance with the hopes that in the final two home games, you could open up even more. And with the way things have been going here in the state of Hawaii, we, we, we're looking the best we've looked in this pandemic, uh, maybe ever, uh, when you look at the, the, the low numbers right now um, and, and the way things are going. Uh, just, RJ, how big is this weekend? And, and really, it, at this point, it's not even about the football game anymore. It's not even about how, how well this team performs or does Shevin Cordero come back or what do you want to see out of the offense, defense, or special teams. Just really, the, the fact that there will be a 1,000 people there cheering them on how significant is this for this football team i don't i don't think that they will have played in a more significant game as far as morale and energy goes now you've had your ranked opponents you've had you know your your big wins you beat nevada last year when they were undefeated you beat fresno this year when they were unranked but Nobody's seen Calvin Turner score. That's not an analyst or a referee. No, nobody was there to see them beat Fresno State. Nobody was there, you know, essentially for the last two years. So I think this is your football normalcy that you're trying to go back to. I mean, you got to think for every fan that's going to be there, they at minimum haven't been to a UH game since 2019. And the players 
haven't seen them since 2019. So as far as they're concerned, this is their first real football game since 2019. That's not a road game. So this is going to be huge, Rob. It's going to be big. It's not a conference game, so I think that definitely helps the weight of as far as win and loss goes. But I feel like performance-wise, I feel like energy-wise, this game is going to have to be huge. It's going to have to, you know, have some sort of spectacular emotion to it because this is the first time you've had fans in two years. You haven't sold tickets in two years. You haven't recruited in two years. You have, you know, there's so much normal stuff that this football team hasn't done that I feel like it would be the ultimate heartbreaker to get a sliver of normalcy with one ninth of your stadium there and then lose to a team you're not supposed to lose to. So I think this game will be absolutely huge. You know, people coming back for the first time in two years. I think that's just going to elevate the intensity of the game. But the big downer comes that if these thousand people show up and it's a bad game, a bad performance, win or lose doesn't matter. But if it's a bad game or a bad performance that these fans that were allowed in can't live with, I think you're looking at a lot bigger problems going forward, especially because you only got two home games left. And then that would make essentially your second full year of non-normal college football. So UH has got to put on this Saturday. The fans got to be loud. It's got to feel and appear like a real college football game at one ninth of the population. Rich Miano, the importance of this football game, big picture with people with their booties on that aluminum seating at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Yeah, well, obviously it's going to be history. You know, the first game with fans in Manoa at the T.C. Ching. Now, that being said, you have to appease your season ticket holders. Obviously, you can't do all of that. I've heard they're going to give 100 tickets and some type of lottery system to the students. And then you have to obviously... Uh, take care of all your sponsors and boosters and people that have helped this program. And that will continue to help this program, but they need to reserve 100 tickets. I'm a marketing whiz and they have to have a contest. The craziest 100 people, they need to get those people in there too, because 1000 people in a 9,000 seat arena can seem like, you know, the hula bowl with only 5,000 and a 50,000 Aloha seat stadium. So if you're going to bow and you're just going to, you know, clap real soft, like, you, you know, watching a golf match, don't come. Come if you're ready to roll and if yeah. you're ready to get excited because there's going to be some excitement. Dang. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's, a, that's a, a great thing to talk about right there because we had talked about it a couple of weeks ago that this first 1,000 people will set the tone for what the atmosphere is at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex, because yes, there's not going to be a lot of people there. The, the people who choose to watch it on Spectrum will watch it, but then through those camera lenses will be what the fan base looks like, right? And so, and it sets you up for okay, when I go there, this is what it's like. And then that's for everyone involved. That's for the University of Hawaii marketing department. That's for the guy on the PA system. That's for the guy that that's picking the music on his iPod Shuffle or whatever it is. I mean, you are setting the tone for a new era of Hawaii football, and so that's extremely important for this football team. Um, before we go. There's one more thing I want to talk about, but before we do that, before we close the book on football, um, RJ Hollis, Rich Miano, you guys both alluded to it about, you know, what this team has to do in order to stay in the Mountain West Conference race, about what this team has to do in order to win games down the stretch. 
do both of you still view this team as a winning football team? And that when, when the, the book closes on this season, we, we have already heard that you guys both think that this team has the talent. Do you think this team has what it takes to have a winning season here the rest of the way? When you look at them being three and four right now in a season where there's 13 games and you're trying to get into a bowl game, can they get it done? RJ. Uh, it's, it's up to them. I mean, potential is, is a great thing to have, but as we just seen Saturday, potential don't mean nothing. The number two team in the country just got thumped in their own house. Iowa got beat up by Purdue in their own house. So at the end of the day, what you can do is great, but doesn't nothing matter except what you actually do. So do I think they can win four out of the next six games? Yes, I do. But if they don't, they don't go to a bowl game. So I can feel the potential. I can think what I think and believe something about a team. But at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding, and I'm not trusting nothing but what's on my spoon. So do I think they're a great team? Yes. Do I think that they're top of the conference championship? I do. I think, in fact, that they should be undefeated right now in the Mountain West Conference, if we're being honest. But at the end of the day, nothing matters except what you show me, what you give me to talk about. So as far as my belief, I do think this is a great team. I do think they could win, and I do think they have winning capabilities. But at the end of the day, if you don't actually win the games, then that's just my belief. And what you put on paper, what your record is, that's what stays with you. So what I believe is, yes, they're winners. I think they could be good. But what they do on these upcoming Saturdays, these next six Saturdays, that's what's going to tell the actual story. Rich Miano? Yeah, this is a pivotal week. And uh, the most disappointed people in the state of Hawaii are not the fans and these guys, these nameless guys and girls behind computers that are talking smack about this football team. It's the players. And it should be the players because they know what they're leaving out on the field. They know what kind of talent that this group possesses. The coaches are looking at that film too and going like, wow, if we would have got up to that next level on this, you know, combo block, if we would have made this tackle, if we would have stripped this football, if we would have completed this pass, if we wouldn't have broke that route off on, on a blitz control route, we would have, we potentially, like RJ said, be undefeated, at least in this Mountain West Conference. So with the amount of talent that is in this group, there is vast potential, but potential is is not known. It's not reached until you actually execute. So this senior leadership group or this group of captains, as well as the seniors that are playing their last football season, if they want to make this season special, like it should be, like it could be, they're going to have to go out there and play because they're going to have every excuse this week. Cameron Lockridge still may be hurt. Chevin may not play. Day-Day may be hurt, at least for this week. There's going to be excuses if you want to hide behind excuses. But to me, there's enough talent in that room, in that group, to, like RJ said, to compete for a Mountain West championship. And your dreams aren't finished yet. But if you lose this week, they're dissipating at a, at a very quick rate. Absolutely. And again, October 23rd, they take on New Mexico State at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Kickoff is set for 6 o'clock, which means the Spectrum pregame show starts at 5.15. Following that New Mexico State game, you're back in the conference play for the rest of the season. That starts with at Utah State, then at home against San Diego State, at UNLV, at home against Colorado State, and then ending the season at Wyoming. So you have six games remaining. And when you look at what you need to do in order to get into the postseason, 
you have to have seven wins. So you got to go four and two the rest of the way, uh, no matter how you do it. And no matter who the victories come against, uh, you have to have at least four victories here uh, in order to get into the postseason, have a winning season for this University of Hawaii football team. All right. Last thing before we go. And this is just a personal thing that, that I wanted to talk about earlier in the week. And so for anyone that's listening that, that, uh, that, that friends with me or, or family or Everyone knows that uh, I got two accounts for everything, a private account, a public account. Right. And, and I do a lot of my work stuff on uh, the, the public account and then my private accounts for Instagram and Twitter and all that Facebook. And um, it is where I communicate with my friends and family. I work a lot, so I don't get to see people as much as I'd like to. And so it's my way of staying in touch with everybody. And it's a chance for everyone to see my kids grow up. And because, again, like. I, you know, I'm not able to go out and about a lot. And that's even pre COVID. Right. And so um, there's something that, that I put up on my private Instagram a, a couple of days ago or about a week ago, um, letting off some steam on something and, and, you know, just great people in my life and everyone reached out and were concerned about me. And, and so I just want to explain to everybody uh, just something that that I just feel like needs to be talked about more. Right. And so on this post, I had said, uh, a, a comment about like, hey, I'm not the biggest dude. I'm definitely not the most intimidating uh, person in the world um, yet. With all that being said, in my 20 years of working in this business, I've never had anyone talk to me face to face in person the way that people talk on social media to me. Right. And so why I think it's important for this to be talked about it. And, and, and so again, a lot of people reached out and they're concerned. And so I want to be clear that it's not necessarily anyone saying bad things about me. Right. I mean, that happens, right? Like, like if cage uh, shows an NFL football game, that isn't their favorite football team. And, you know, you get a phone call an email, a social media post um, of someone swearing at you and, you know, whatever, like, like I decide who, plays on the NFL Sunday game on Fox, right? Like that's not my decision, folks. All right. And so you get those, or if you do a story on someone and they, you know, they think you should have done a story on someone else, you get that. But like that, you know, that's far and few between. I'm talking more of just how people talk, period. Right. And so for a good example is the Bose football final mailbox where I put out uh, on an Instagram story, like, hey, you got a question or a comment for Bose football final? Let us know. Right you wouldn't believe how many of these comments are vulgar about my KHON female coworkers, right? Are people that are saying obscene things about Todd Graham and Bo Graham and their family and or whatever it is, right? Then there's the, the people who randomly just their comment is just a bleep you. That's, you know, when I check it, it like, you follow me, bro. Like, you know, you follow, like you had to go and actively search this and then, right. And so that's what I'm talking about is that we need to remember just as a society that when you're talking to someone on social media or through an email or whatever it is, you are still talking to someone. You are still communicating with someone. And if you're not going to say these things to someone face to face, then you probably shouldn't say it on social media. You know, especially if you're protected by, you know, not knowing who this person is and, and all these things. And so that's more along the lines of what I'm talking about is that I'm fine. And even if someone says something about me or whatever, I'm cool. I'm with it. What makes me sad is that there are people in this world that can't handle it as well 
and they got to live with with that. Right. And, and a lot of them are kids. I mean, you know, it, that that have to, to live with this. And it's just a reminder of because I know there's a lot of good people out there. And I know that social media is like this safe place where you could say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. But, you know, at the same time, I, there, there's a there's a like a false feeling in that, because in that situation is you are sending me a message, you are communicating with me, you are talking to me. And so, I mean, unless that's how you would talk to me, if you see me out and about, then, you know, then, hey, it is what it is. But let me just say that in 20 years, no one has ever walked up to me and asked to see naked pictures of my coworkers in my face, right? No one has ever walked up to me and said, F Todd Graham. No one has ever walked up to me and said, F you. And so, you know, I, I know I'm on, on a soapbox right now, but, and, and this, you know, everyone wanted to tune in and listen to the, the UH football talk, but I, I just feel like it's an important thing. And, I, and I, I'd be doing an injustice if I didn't bring attention to it, because I think there's a lot of people that don't, that don't realize what they're doing, right. That they just see it as just like, Hey man, th- th- this is funny. Like, you, you're still communicating with people and we need to be better. We need to be better on how we talk to each other on social media. That's kind of all I have to say about that. Rich and RJ, if, if you guys want to say anything, you know, you don't have to. Um, but if you want to say something before we hell on out of here, feel free. Yeah. Just personally, Rob, like I got off Twitter because I, the negativity was not adding to the, the incredible life that I have. I only go on Instagram and I only follow people I want to follow. I only read things I want to uh, read. I want and I want to be more positive. I want everybody to be more positive. Well, and, you know, it doesn't mean we have to be a homer and think that, you know, talk, Bo Graham's a great offensive coordinator or, you know, say things that we don't actually believe. But at the same time, it's so much easier to be positive. And like Mike Tyson said, it's easy to say something behind a computer because in the old days, and I'm not paraphrasing him, but you get punched in the mouth. And all these people that hide behind computers and talk smack, they need to be more positive. They need to, you know, like you say, say it to my face and let's talk about this if you have an issue. But it's so sad that we live in a society where so many people are inundated with negativity and are allowed to say that among this web that we have that allows you to be, you know, uh, Big Body Joe or whoever the heck you think you are. It's just really a travesty that people can't be more positive and still be a realist. Some things are not positive. Some things need to be uh, not demonized necessarily, but they need to be construed as what they are. But yeah, anyone that talking smack about women or talking about violence unnecessarily or talking negativity, I don't have time for those people in my life. And again, Rob, it's the same thing. They don't come up to you because they're not, they're not, they're scared. They're they're basically people that like to hide behind computers. So, you know, we got your back, Rob. And I know this is not a personal thing for you. It's just a society thing. And it's sad that we live in this because I have a 13 year old daughter. And when you talk about teenage suicide and depression and anxiety and all these other things, it's because of people are so damn negative on social media. No, I, I think you guys are both speaking on something that, and, and Rob, don't even, I don't want to, you know, kind of step over what you were saying, but honestly, I feel like this might be one of the most important topics we've spoken on today. Um, being born in 1994, I'm only 27, so social media was a big part of 
you know, my life in high school and early college, and I've seen what it could do to people. I see what it does to people, you know, on the daily. And, and my biggest thing is not only what people say, but the fact that they don't even use their own picture when they say it. Like Rich said, everybody's got a plan so they get punched in the mouth. Um, I'm not a person that walks around acting like I'm bigger than everybody because my brother's bigger than me. So whether I am actually bigger than you, in my mind, I know the idea of respect. Because if I talk to my brother a certain type of way, well, I'm going to have to eat my teeth for a week. So I'm not going to talk to anybody that way because, you know, that's going to be the same thing. But I think in the, sense, the, the, the stance of the fan base, I think this is extremely important because a lot of times I'm very close with a lot of the fans. I interact with a lot of the fans. I'm in a lot of the, the warrior nations and stuff. You will see so many negative comments put by people who are supposed to be fans of something that it'll turn other fans off. It'll make other people not want to be around it because of the negativity. And all of that said to be saying as a fan base, why would you want to destroy your own team? You're cheering for a program that you then go and cuss out the person that's covering them for media. Then you post something in the fans chat that's negative in connotation to anything to do with the program and expect people to want to be around it more. I, I really don't get how some people could be so over the top with their negativity, with their threatening, with the things that they say to people. But I actually do have time. And uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm one of those, you know, Twitter Power Rangers that kind of try and weed all the trolls out. And the people that say the worst stuff, well, I got nothing but time. So uh, at the end of the day, anything you want to say uh, threatening to Rob DeMello, I will go on Bo's football final and say forward all comments to RJ Hollis. And then <laughs> if you have anything past that, hey. Y'all know where I'm at. You know my phone number. You know all that. So I'm not trying to make it that type of thing. But at the end of the day, it needs to be known. This, this is this is for family. This is for positivity. This, this is life changing. You're you're listening to a guy who wouldn't have the life that he has now if it weren't for the two guys I'm on this podcast with right now. You know the opportunities that I got from Rob DeMello and Rich Miano. I the, my life will not be the same because of the grace you guys had and wanting to help me. But to have people attacking people like you, that makes me feel a certain type of way. Attacking yeah, and, the and, and, and like I said, I mean, you know, I, I don't want this to turn into that, that I'm a victim here. Right. No, no, That's no, no, not no. it. You know, and, and, and I and I don't feel like I'm being attacked by anyone. You know, it, it's more so I like I said, it, it just bringing attention and everyone take a step back. And before you hit send, just imagine that even though you are on a phone or you're on a keyboard or whatever it is, this is a communication between two people, right? And is this what I would say to this person if we're sitting across the hall, you know, across the, the, the room from each other, if we're standing next to each other at a checkout line at Safeway or whatever it is, right? And because that happens all the time, right? You know, I'm at Safeway and someone's like, hey, Rob, what's, hey, what do you think about the bows this week or, or whatever it is, right? No one's ever walked up to me and started, you know, swearing about the UH football team. Nobody. And I've had some people that are unhappy with the UH football team, right? But the way they ask it, right, is just like, hey, man, how do you think that they could turn this around? Or, oh, I think this guy should be playing and not this guy or whatever it is. Right. Nobody in 20 years has ever walked up and started cussing. Right. And it, it, and that's my only thing. Right. Is that let's just be better 
of how, because it's a snowball effect. If you do these things, then that means, I mean, I don't even want to know what you're saying to other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this is how you're acting to me, I don't even want to know, you know, when you're talking to people that you think is even less real than I am. Right. I mean, cause I think that has a lot to do with it too. Right. And so, um, it, it just be better, everybody. Let's just, let's have some aloha. Let's, let's live, uh, you know, with respect for one another and uh, and still be able to enjoy the things we enjoy and you can still be um, passionate passionate and critical and i'm all for that right. and, and, and question right. things and, and and all that let's just right. let's just take a step back and let's do it like adults all right well said well, well said. that does it here uh for this week's bose football final hope i didn't lose you guys uh, there in the, the last 10 minutes of this program but uh like i said i just felt uh, it was important uh the university of hawaii football team takes on new mexico state this weekend we will be talking about this on monday on bose football final as we do every monday at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts for rich miano rj hollis i'm rob demello have a great week everybody take care of each other aloha <laughs>